Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with friends of the podcast Swiss Re Corporate Solutions. Now, Thomas Keist, Global Captive Solutions Leader at Swiss Re, has spoken briefly about virtual captives on the pod before, but over the next 20 minutes, Tom and I will also be joined by Fabrice Ferrer, Managing Director within Aon Global Risk Consulting in Luxembourg, to add some context with regards to sell captives to this debate. Tom and Fabrice will be discussing the similarities and differences between cell captive structures and virtual captives, addressing areas such as fronting and reinsurance partners, domicile considerations, and consolidated and unconsolidated balance sheets. So Fabrice, perhaps a nice place to start would be to ask you in what kind of instances are you seeing cell captives being formed in this in this new wave of of captive interest? Yeah, so we've seen a pretty sizable increase in in demand for cells, especially across Europe since the last two years, I would say, and it's really coinciding with the change in the insurance market and the uh, and the renewals becoming becoming harder. So a lot of clients have to do something, have to take bigger retentions or to access additional capacity because. Many insurers are reducing the capacity and the cell really comes in nicely into that framework as an alternative solution. Now, where we've seen particularly cell being considered or being, you know, being formed is, is a mix of different triggers. One um, that we see very often now is where there's not enough time to set up a proper captive because uh, the renewal terms come up pretty late in the process from the insurance company and the client has to react and, and do something about it. And the benefit of sell in that respect is that it can be set up much quicker than, than, a, than a proper captive. It's also um, sometimes used as a kind of stepping stone solution where there are you know, discussions internally about whether they should create a, a own captive or not, but they're still not 100% sure, we're still discussing about where the domiciles should be. And having that cell option as a temporary solution to you know, provide more time for thinking around the, the own captive is also uh, something we see. And coming back to my comment about the lack of capacity or insurers reducing the capacity, we've also had instances where cells were used to be able to access reinsurance capacity. So to basically you know, complement and fill in the, uh, the reduced capacity from the incumbent carrier to uh, get access to uh, to broader capacity. Yeah, thanks, Fabrice. Yeah, certainly hearing that from all over regarding the, the demand for, for cells, um, both in Europe, America, uh, and, and further afield. Thomas, uh, Fabrice outlined there some of those drivers of this uptick in, in cell interest. Was that... Did you hear any themes which are similar to regarding the, how virtual captives can be used? Is, is there any overlap there in the kind of use between virtual captives and, and cell captives? Yes, Richard, there very much is. So uh, I think in the same uh, course of action corporate clients take with respect to thinking about uh, a new way to uh, manage their retention, which they may want to increase, various options are considered and the virtual captive is comes into play uh, very often at the same time as a PCC comes into play when looking at uh, the options of risk retention vehicles. There are a lot of similarities with the PCC when it comes to virtual captive, but there are also a lot of differences, of course. Both uh, can be used as an alternative to setting up a full captive, whereas in a, in a virtual captive, 
case, uh, obviously, it's V3 that provides its balance sheet to, to emulate the same mechanics by way of, a, of, a, of, a, of an insurance contract. What are some of them, considering then that you said, uh, Thomas, that uh, you know, obviously if you're forming a virtual captive, you're kind of forming it on, on the Swiss 3 balance sheet. What, what are the other operational differences between a virtual captive and, and a cell captive? Because a cell captive, to a degree, is its own existing you know, entity. That is not quite the same with the virtual captive. So what are some of those key operational differences? Basically, the way the client interacts with us is by way of a, a multi-year insurance agreement replicating the financial mechanics of a captive by way of some structural elements that are within that contract. In terms of other differences, uh, usually there is in a virtual captive agreement with, uh, with Swiss 3, there is a certain amount of risk transfer for the peak and tail risk already included. Whereas when you uh, enter a PCC agreement, you may have to add stop loss reinsurance to achieve that risk transfer. So this inclusion is usually uh, one of the differences. And the other one is that uh, obviously working with a, with a Swiss 3 balance sheet and the Swiss 3 infrastructure, you know, you don't have to clarify anything around the insurance license aspects. Uh, because that's all taken care of us uh, by, by Swiss 3. So there's no additional fronting arrangements needed in any case and uh, that uh, also can make lives uh, easier. There are, of course, also some, uh, some drawbacks as with everything. So looking at PCCs, they do have a lot of uh, great advantages and I think maybe Fabrice want to highlight some of them. To start with, I will probably echo Tom's comment that there are many similarities. Um, you know, it's both renting a balance sheet, whether you rent a balance sheet from a PCC sponsor or the insurance carrier uh, is the difference, but they both work on the same basis, can be implemented quickly. It's basically a contractual agreement. Um, there's no capital injection needed. It's, it's only, you know, collateralized structures. And you don't get into all the captive governance that, uh, that you have when you have your own captive. So, so they, they work to the same, uh, target in terms of operational simplicity, I would say. Now, the key difference I would, I would see, uh, you know, sales versus virtual captive to, to take some of the flip side of what Tom said is, is in terms of some of the aspects related to, for instance, consolidation, some, some clients, and it really depends on the consolidation rules within each group, but some clients do consolidate their sales, some, some don't. Um, and I think we'll, we'll have the opportunity to come back on that aspect. Uh, there can be a topic around risk appetite. Of course, the insurance carrier renting his balance sheet will do that according to his own risk appetite and underwriting guidelines, which may or may not be restrictive depending on what the client is, is looking to do. And within sales, it's only the PCC sponsor that is that has to you know, approve that the risk is properly insurable and that there's no issue around it, but um, but sometimes the risk appetite can be broader than, than what we see with virtual captive. Another topic that comes Pretty often uh, is the question around the cash and and the the you know whether the cash is is trapped or, or free. And um, one of the advantages that we've seen of of cell structures is that uh, the cell assets can participate in the cash pooling arrangement of the group, so that effectively we minimise the, uh, the the cash trap for the for the group and also uh, the mechanics around you know distributing any potential um, underwriting profits is through preference shares. 
so that uh, basically at any point in time, um, the cell can distribute. While in a virtual captive framework, it's a term agreement, as Tom just highlighted, and, and you do get the, you know, the, the, the profits back at the end, but it's at the end of the three years or four or five years, whatever it is, a period of time. So there are those, those differences, but it comes with also um, some of what Tom was saying, that the benefit of virtual captive is that because you're renting the balance sheet of the insurer, you also benefit from a transfer of timing risk because there's no, within the retention layer that is covered by the virtual captive, there's no underwriting risk transfer. Um, it is retention, but there is timing risk transfer because it works on a three to five years time horizon. And so the insurer carrier is still you know, taking up the volatility over that period of time. And to some extent, providing a credit line in case there's you know, more claims and premiums in, in a given year, it will be covered by future future claims, future uh, premiums, sorry. While in a cell construction, the assets of the cell have to remain positive at any point in time. So so that aspect of credit line remains on the um, of the cell owner. There are a few other differences, but I would say these are the kind of main dynamics I would highlight. We often hear, Fabrice, obviously, any conversation around forming a captive or using a cell, there's a, there's a domicile discussion there, an increasingly political domicile discussion, I think, sometimes uh, regarding where to domicile uh, a captive or, or a cell. Um, I'm wondering, Tom, on the virtual captive side, if you could briefly, what's the is there the same conversation on the virtual captive or because in the case of Swiss Re, is the balance sheet just simply in? in Zurich, Switzerland, or is there, is there more choice than that? And does, and does that choice even matter? It actually does matter. So between the two options, uh, you know, PCC versus virtual captive, there are pros and cons on each side. And one of the pros in many cases of the virtual captive that is that the client actually works with a local Swiss Re balance sheet assuming it's available. So we're not in every country, but we're in very many countries with uh, with local representation and, uh, and an even capitalized uh, legal entity. And that means the virtual captive, you do it with your local Swiss Re partner. And that's uh, obviously then there's no need for any discussion about domicile because it's basically in your home turf. Interesting. And I guess um, Fabrice, just briefly, because so many jurisdictions now do offer uh, cell company legislation, and of course, Aon White Rock Group is, is present in, in all the major domiciles now, I believe, that, that conversation is important, but there are options there, I imagine. Yeah, Richard, indeed, there are, there are options. And, and as you said, our White Rock Group of companies has, has PCC structures in, in, in multiple domiciles. Having said that, the, the number of domiciles where PCC legislation exists is is still a good handful, I would say. So there are still limited number of options, even though um, there are more and more. And what we've seen is over and above the, the question of the domicile itself and whether clients feel comfortable going to places like you know, Malta, Gibraltar, Guernsey, Bermuda, or Vermont, or wherever else there's PCC legislation. And, and that's really down to each client feeling comfortable or not with, with those jurisdictions. What we've seen more is some level of comfort or, or lack of comfort around the legal framework of PCC, which is something that does exist in both jurisdictions, but does not exist in many of the um, of the home countries of, of, of our clients, especially if we talk about you know, European clients. You know, some legal departments don't always feel 100% comfortable with with that very specific legislation around PCC and the specific clause that that PCC legislation involves. 
Of course, there's a lot of education to do in that respect, and, and we're very active in that because it's just unusual, but it, there's nothing wrong about it, and there's absolutely no issue with it. It's just a matter of getting all the legal people around the table and, 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 and getting familiar and comfortable with it. But to, to Tom's point, you know, with a virtual captive, you know, there's, no, there's no setup. Also, you don't need to go through any regulatory process for approval. While, um, while you do have to, uh, to get approval for opening a cell, there's no setup cost. So my, my key message would really be that you know, there's pros and cons on both sides. And as I used to say, the more we have options for our clients, the better. So uh, it's always good to have uh, those options available and, and be able to advise one or the other, depending on the specific circumstances of our clients. Fabrice, you mentioned earlier at, at the start regarding sales often being used at the moment to kind of access directly the reinsurance markets. And, and Thomas already mentioned, of course, the benefit on the virtual capture side of kind of you having that fronting uh, position already in place with, with Swiss Re. Fabrice, how often do you see sales being utilized for direct writing? Um, is, is, a pro, is a fronting partner usually involved or is that less common? And also how... How comfortable do fronting partners tend to be in, in fronting for a sale? So in, in, in terms of direct writing with sales, the kind of traditional setup we have seen um, over the last years and, and until the market turned around, I would say, was more around setting up sales in Malta to be able to do direct writing across Europe on a freedom of services basis. And that was made quite often in combination with, with a client having his own reinsurance captive also. So it was more like facilitating access to, to the reinsurance captive or reducing the front cost. What we've seen developing over the last two years with the uh, turn on the market is really insurance carrier reducing the net capacity they make available to their clients and the client having to find together with a broker some additional capacity in other places and other markets. And we have many instances where uh, setting up a cell was helpful to that. Um, so it's not necessarily setting up a cell to do fronting instead of the incumbent carrier. To the contrary, very often the incumbent carrier remains on the program front end to take care of the international program, do all the policy management, the claims handling, etc. But then the client does set up a cell to take the net risk that the insurance carrier doesn't want anymore and then access additional markets and reinsurance markets to fill in the capacity. So it's more in a partnership structure than trying to you know, displace the, the, the fronting partner. And also keep in mind, there are some lines of business, especially when you talk about international programs, where you do need to have an insurance carrier who's, who's able to provide the international framework to be you know, hands-on locally to have the contact with the local operations to handle the claims and the claims management, etc. I'm thinking, for instance, about inquiries we had recently around marine cargo, where it's really important to have you know local operations being able to uh, to operate. So in that case, the cell comes in really in partnership with the fronting insurer. Of course, one of the criteria clients look at when you know making a decision between a PCC and a virtual captive is actually that does the partner have already all the respective licenses and infrastructure in place or are there considerations with respect to the fronter that is currently in place or needs to be used so these kind of discussions go away by working with a with a swiss 3 and its in, and its licenses 
So while uh, Swiss Re can offer all the necessary licenses in the different uh, markets to write also on a virtual captive with its, with, its, uh, with its infrastructure, at the same time, it also offers the opportunity to access the reinsurance market through the virtual captive. And this is, uh, to Fabrice's points, very often actually one of the big considerations that are made that by way of setting up such a risk retention vehicle, be the PCC, be the virtual captive, that you gain the access to the reinsurance market. And therefore, in many cases, we see uh, clients coming to us in the context of a large international program, seek a partner who can provide the respective license infrastructure and by way of going into an agreement like a virtual captive, also granting access to the even larger reinsurance space. And then what is the, the role of the broker then, Tom? If, if you're working with a, a client and you set up a virtual captive for them, what uh, kind of interaction do you have with, with the broker in that structure? Look, the broker is a very extremely valued partner. And there's various reasons for that. First of all, Broking companies like Aon do have a very, very long-standing experience and a large group of experienced people around uh, consulting and also supporting the establishment of PCCs, captives, but also uh, consulting on virtual captives. And at the end of the day, a client will never decide for any of the risk retention options without having a strong partner, a broker like Aon on its side to go through this decision process. And that's what we, what we acknowledge and also value. And therefore, there is very seldom a case where we do not work in close partnership with a broker. So just just to finish off, then we 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 started earlier talking a little bit about balance sheets and um, consolidated versus unconsolidated. Just to clarify, Thomas, with with the virtual captive, where is the the balance sheet kept of the virtual captive? As you said earlier, is it just simply is it as simple as the balance sheet is on the kind of the local Swiss re? subsidiary that the that the corporate deals with in essence yes of course in the context of an international program you have uh, you know it, it depends on the structure of the international program but we tend to pool the risks into a, a pooling entity which is uh, usually the Swiss Re Zurich pooling entity, and that is obviously in Zurich, Switzerland. But uh, in, in terms of the interaction and the legal environment client works within with a virtual captive is really on a local basis. So it's primarily the local balance sheet that is here at the forefront of, of the considerations. And then Fabrice, you mentioned uh, earlier regarding kind of consolidated versus unconsolidated balance sheets. Could you perhaps just give us a very brief explanation of, of what we mean by consolidated versus unconsolidated balance sheets? Sure. So uh, to, to start with, um, we have to keep in mind that within the kind of cell structures you have the opportunity to have capitalized cells or, or not capitalized cells where you're basically renting the cell. So obviously any capitalized cell or a, any incorporated cell would belong to the group 
um, and therefore be consolidated. So where I'd like to expand is on, on the other option where you're renting uh, basically the, the cell from a PCC sponsor. And there, again, it really depends on the group own consolidation rules. So we've seen groups consolidating those cell assets on the basis that they are a beneficiary owner. But we've also seen groups not consolidating those on the basis of they have the fact that they have no legal ownership, plus the fact that it was below any materiality threshold. So, so we've seen both options, and it's really down to the client to, to decide which option applies to himself. Now, in terms of the benefits and, and disadvantages, it, it's always the same, right? If you deconsolidate, the benefit is that you don't get the volatility in your consolidated statements. Downside is that you also don't get the assets. One goes with the other. <laughs> While if you decide to consolidate, um, you get the benefit of consolidating the assets. But then if you have a major claim um, hitting the cell and, and putting the cell in, in a loss environment, uh, that loss will will come back in your own balance sheet. So we, we've seen really both options, and it's uh, up to each client to uh, to decide which one is fits best. And then Thomas, just just lastly on that, but I presume that the uh, virtual captive would be an an unconsolidated balance sheet. Absolutely. In terms of the virtual captive, there is there is no uh, ambiguity. So there's it doesn't another doesn't depend on any accounting standards uh, used in one or the other jurisdiction. You pay a premium to this virtual captive, and this is this goes off your balance sheet. So in case of a virtual captive, it is definitely unconsolidated. And as Fabrice says. The advantage is that you have uh, basically also the respective volatility within this virtual captive. You do not have it on your balance sheet. Uh, and the downside is that also the respective funds that you contribute to the virtual captive, they are off your assets and you do not have access to them until you might eventually get something of it back. However, one thing I want to mention here by transferring funds off balance sheet into this virtual captive, you do so because you are financing risk. And the typical approach to calculating the premium necessary to be transferred into the virtual captive is by looking at expected losses on an actuarial basis. So in other words, I would assume that the difference between the, the funds that you actually do move outside of your balance sheet and the funds that are actually needed to pay respective losses are very similar, comparable between PCC and, uh, and virtual captive. Well, thank you to Thomas and Fabrice for a very informative 20 minutes on sell and virtual captives. I think there is plenty to take away from that discussion. For more information on Swiss Re Corporate Solutions and their captive services, please do visit the globalcaptivepodcast.com website, where you'll also find biographies of our two guests and over 100 other guests that have featured on the podcast over the last two years. But for now, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Captives.